So we are continuing our, our journey through the book of Romans this morning, and again, as we do that, we started this several weeks ago, and uh, we're going through about chapter by chapter throughout the summer as we study this, this big, um, just grand work of Paul's life. In fact, this book of Romans is a very foundational book, and, and one, even for, for the Apostle Paul, was one where this was his greatest work. It's his longest letter, and he, he covers the most foundational groundwork of the entire gospel in this letter, uh, which is one of the reasons why it's so important and why we're studying it this summer. And as we go through this, as you know, we've been going through week by week and chapter by chapter. Hopefully you can follow along. If you miss a week, you can keep reading along or even if you want to read ahead. Um, but today we're actually going to cover the next two chapters in Romans because Romans 6 and 7 are kind of together in a cohesive piece, and they kind of cover the same content. So we're going to go through two chapters today, and like I said, Mike will be preaching on Romans chapter 8 next week. So if you are reading ahead, um, I know I threw you a curveball today, but you can uh, be ready and read ahead to Romans 8 for next week. Um, which, and I will say, I, was, I, I told Mike when he was kind of, that we were gone, I'm like, man, I'm jealous that he gets to preach Romans 8. Like, that's like the best chapter in like all the scripture. I was like, and he gets to preach it instead of me, but that's okay. Um, but he'll, he'll do a great job. But as, as we're continuing to work through this today, we, as we open up in Romans chapter 6 and 7, I encourage you to open, again, if you have your own Bible with you, to open with me to Romans chapter 6. And again, as we do that, um, you know, again, if you don't have your own Bible, don't have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. And you'll notice on the outline of the page numbers of where you can find uh, these, this passage in those Bibles, so open it up and, you know, just open it up to Romans 6. We're going to kind of go back and forth, just leave it open today. We're going to go back to it several times. Um, but as we do that, though, as we open up into these, these topics that he presents in these two chapters, and we realize that in this life, there are some things that are very complex, and there are other things that are very simple. Okay? And, you know, some questions that we have in life, we all have questions in life, and some questions have long answers. And some questions have very short and abrupt, simple answers. With just a few emphatic words, you can answer a question sometimes. Right? Now, one of these real emphatic words that we see in our text today, as Paul answers some questions, is he answers it with some very simple, emphatic words. Of course not. Okay, now there are lots of questions in this world that we can answer with these emphatic three words. Of course not. Right, just an example, I mean, would you turn down front row tickets to see your favorite band in concert? Of course not, right? Would you say no if someone offered to give you a million dollars? Of course not, right? Would you get an Android phone instead of an iPhone? Of course not. Right now, and I would use to go, again, it's a running joke between me and some of our staff, but again, it. It has to be an iPhone, right? That's just, but we see there's sometimes we can answer these questions with just a very simple, emphatic answer, right? Of course not. Now, within our text this morning in Romans 6 and Romans 7, Paul presents us with four rhetorical questions, okay? And in these questions, literally in the text, he answers his own question in the next verses with this phrase, of course not, Right, now, as we open up um, again to Romans chapter 6, the first section we're going to cover today is in Romans chapter 6. It's the entire chapter. Okay, Romans 6, verses 1 through 23. Okay, now he opens Romans 6 um, with the first rhetorical question in the first two verses. 
Okay, so we see, again, rhetorical question number one is in Romans 6, 1 and 2. Okay, where it says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Again, he presents us this question in verse 1, right? Which is one, as, as he's building on top of these topics, and he's diving deeper into these things, right? If we, he's taught to us here even the hard times, and even we see in chapter 5, he says, where God's always with us and all the time, and, and his grace abounds, even when we face a struggle or, or a, you know, a, it's something bad in our lives, like he's there with us all the time. And then he says, now we come into this, this question. He's like, so if God's grace and God's love is so uh, bountiful in our lives, well, does that mean I should sin more so I can have more grace? Right now, at first again, we laugh at the question, and yet he presents something that we all know to be true deep down in our world and, our, and even our own hearts. Right, is if we really want to do something, we will do anything to find an excuse to do it. Right, even if we know it's bad for us, even if we know we shouldn't, right, if we can find an excuse, then we'll dive in. Right, and yet here he's saying, like, again, we're, we're presenting this kind of rhetorical question, right, because, because we often look for an excuse to do what we want to do. And again, if we still want to sin and we kind of sit back and be like, well, I still want to do it. What's the, well, the excuse is that the more I sin, the more grace I get, right? And Paul's like, you're crazy. Don't do that, right? Of course not. Like, I'm not going to continue to live in sin just so I can get more grace. And then, in fact, as he, as he gives us the of course not answer, and then in verse 2, he tells us, he's like, don't continue to sin if you're living in God's love and grace. Right, like these are opposites of each other. Right, they don't go hand in hand. Now, if we try to give this excuse of why I can just keep sinning because then I can just confess and get more grace, he's like, you're trying to put them together, and they don't go together. Right, these are in opposing columns. And in fact, that's what, he, what Paul tells us to do here. He says, put grace in one column, right? put sin in the other. I mean, it's like a pros and cons list, right? If, if I'm facing a decision, I can say, here's the good side, here's the bad side. They can't overlap. And he's saying grace and sin should not ever overlap in your life. It is not an excuse to keep sinning. Of course not. You wouldn't do that. Right? And he expands on this thought here in these next several verses until we get to the next rhetorical question, which, which builds on top of the first one. Okay, so rhetorical question number two is found in Romans 6, 15 and 16. Okay, so the, the next rhetorical question, Romans 6, verse 15. He says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to to righteous living. And so we see as he continues to make the case of like, why would you ever try to mingle, right, sin with God's grace? Like, they just don't go together. This is not a way to make choices. And then we see again in verse 15, he just kind of goes the next level deeper in his reasoning, right? He's like, it doesn't mean that you can go on sinning just because you can be forgiven. Because right, he says, because both of these columns, the sin column, the grace column, they take you to different places. 
right? It's not that we, we shouldn't intermingle them. It's the fact that they literally will take you to different places in your life. And so they, there's no way that they can coexist, right? Because he explains to us, right, again, that everybody is a slave to something, right? And if you continue and willfully continue in a life of sin, Right? That sin is taking you down a road that leads you to a certain place. Right? And again, sin, if you're a slave to sin, that means that you are living for yourself. At the core of our sinful nature, the core of every sin is selfishness. Right? And if I continue to live in that column and I go down that path, that sin is glorifying myself. Right? Because sin is pleasurable. Right? Sin is fun in the moment. Right? It's, it's again, it's, it's focused on me, what I want to do in that moment, right? And he's like, now the other column, the column of grace and living a life of grace and living in grace, right, will lead you down a different road. Because if you become a slave to God instead of a slave to sin, right, then it leads you down a path of righteousness. And the more righteous life you live, the more God gets the glory not yourself. Again, it takes you in literally in the opposite direction. He's saying these two columns do not intermingle, right? Sin is going to take you down the path towards more selfishness, right? And righteous living will take you down the path towards godliness. And they're going to take you in different directions. Again, as we realize this, right, is the good news is as a follower of Jesus, we actually get to choose where our lives are going. Right? Because without Christ, right, as we're moving down the road of sin, we stay in sin, we don't even know that we're in sin. And again, we, it's taking us, it's still killing and destroying, it's taking us on a road towards death, and we don't even know it. Right? But as soon as we receive Christ as our Savior, we hear that God opens our eyes to the truth of what's really happening. Right? And where that sin is actually taking us. And now we get to choose. Do I want to stay as a slave to sin? Or do I want to become a slave to God? And I get to make that choice. Right? Because God opens our eyes to that. Now, after these two rhetorical questions, again, he continues to dive into this concept deeper in the following verses. And then we get to the final verse of Romans 6. This is one of the uh, most famous memory verses. It's quoted all the time, and for good reason, but it is Romans 6.23. Okay, as he summarizes this entire point of the entire chapter, right, as he dove into these two rhetorical questions, he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, he's saying there are two different ways you can do life. You can stay life in sin, and, and that sin is taking you towards death. Right? Or you can receive the free gift of God. And, and, and ask him in your life, become, be saved, become a follower of Jesus, be forgiven right? through Christ Jesus. And that path leads to eternal life. Right? And we have the power to choose that because of the gospel. Right? Because Christ came to this earth and lived us in this life and died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Everything that we remember by taking communion today. Right? We can make that choice. And then he moves into this next section of these two chapters in Romans 7 verses 1 through 6. Okay, now this 
this section of Scripture okay, is a transitional thought. He, he, he set this up with these first two questions and then, of course, not answers. Right? Summarizes it with verse six, Romans 6.23. And then he, he transitions us with these verses. Now I'll say the, the entire two chapters of Scripture hinge on the four verses of this section. Okay, the last, um, the last three verses, actually. It's, it's verse 4, 5, and 6. Okay, so I want to read to you Romans chapter 7. Okay, we're going to pick up at verse 4. And again, this is the tipping point of the entire passage. Okay, Romans 7, verse 4. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. And as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by the old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. As I said, these three verses literally are the hinging point of this entire passage. So I want to go back through these verses and say, what is he telling us in this? What, what, again, he literally says, this is the point. Right? So that's when we need to, okay, what's the point? We need to make sure we understand the point. Okay, first off is, is in verse 4, okay, where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. Okay, you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. Now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Okay, again, he's, he, he's describing this process that happens in our hearts when we receive Christ our Savior. Right? He's saying we die with Christ, right? But not, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And we as well are brought to new life when we receive him as our savior. When we join the journey of faith, right? We end up going in a different direction, right? We, we now finally realize that sin is taking us towards death and I don't want to go there. And when I receive Christ as my savior, I join the journey of faith. Now I get to turn around and go in a new direction to a new destination. Right? Because sin takes me to death, and Christ takes me to life. Right? As we realize that again, what's the point we get out of verse 4? The point is this, that because we have joined the journey of faith, you now get to choose what destination you are journeying toward. Right? Because sin takes us further and further away from God and closer to death. Right? And yet God's spirit and his transformation, when we receive him, we get to turn around and go in a different direction. And now we are going towards a new destination. And that new destination is not just heaven, but that new destination is Christ himself. Right? Is holiness. Is righteousness. Right? Of, again, that sinful life. We were raised with him. Right? Into this new life. Again, it doesn't mean that you won't still have sin in your life after you receive him as your savior. Okay, the struggle does not go away instantly. Okay, and if anybody tells you that oh, all you have to do is pray, receive Christ as your savior, become a Christian, and all your problems go away, don't believe them. That's, that's not the truth. Right, they don't go away instantly. But what it does mean is that now your eyes are open to the real picture of how this world works. 
and to the real results of our choices. Again, it starts with our inner thoughts and motivations. Right? And that's where God starts, right? He opens our eyes to, to what's really going on. Right? To where our lives are really headed if we continue to live in sin. Right? And then, as I start to see the world differently, and he transforms my heart, and, and he opens my eyes to all these things, then it, it naturally then starts to affect my outward behavior. But it starts on the inside and moves its way out. And as we realize that, again, to think about, as a follower of Jesus, right, is, is, it is not realistic for me to expect a non-Christian to live like a Christian. Okay, because they, they, they do not see the world the same way that I see it. Right? They have not been transformed by God's love grace. And so they will define things differently. They will act differently because they see things differently. Right? Again, we know, again, sin is pleasurable in the moment. Right? Sin, sin seems fun. Right? If it wasn't, nobody would do it. It wouldn't be tempting. Right? But yet, at the core of sin is the lie, right? The lie is that it's not taking you towards death. And yet, when you receive Christ, he opens our eyes to the fact that it might be pleasurable in the moment, but it's actually pulling me further away from God. Right? And, and, and it's pushing me towards the, the final destination of the sinful life, which is death. But right? as he makes this point, right? He's saying that, right, that um, again, that we can choose, right? We have the power to choose. Right, we can choose to follow Christ, or we can continue to live our life of sin. And then he moves into verse 5. In verse 5, and he says, When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, which resulting in death. Again, these evil desires, again, sin is tempting. It's, it's, it's the lie, right, that this is going to be good for me, and yet... It's not. Again, as we receive Christ, then he says, we are no, we were controlled by our old nature. Our sinful desires are at work within us from the very core of us. It's taking us in this direction, right? Which again, the point of this, right? The evil desires and sin are taking you on a journey towards death. That's where they're taking you, right? Which is why as we realize this point, it's like, well, that's why it's in a, it's, it's, it's of course not, I don't want to stay in that, right? Once I know it's taking me away from God and towards death, of course I don't want to stay in that lifestyle. Right? It becomes obvious at that point, right? But to somebody who does not know Jesus, who has not received him, again, who doesn't see that, that they don't see that. Right? And yet that's part of the process that God takes us through and helps us to take somebody else through is realizing the truth, right, of where sin's taking us. Again, it says that the destination is death. Now, again, the, the Bible talks about two different kinds of deaths. Right? There's a physical death, the death when our bodies stop working and they wear out and, and they become diseased or, or broken down and they just stop working. That's a physical death. Now, even as a believer in Jesus, right, you will still experience a physical death. That's not what this is talking about. Okay, what this is talking about is a spiritual death. Now, spiritual death is being completely separated from God because God is the author and the giver of life. Right? So anywhere his presence is, there is life. Without his presence, what is left is death. Right? And so the eternal death 
right? This spiritual death, eternal death, is complete separation from God. Now, even in our world today, even if, if somebody does not believe in God and they, they even deny his existence, right, does not change the fact that God's presence is still around us, right? His presence is in creation. It's in the heart of every believer. It's in all these different things, right? God's presence is still here in this world. Even though it is fallen and sinful, God's presence is still here, which is why there's life, right? But again, eternally, it's completely separated from God is death. Right now, again, the opposite is also true, right? The more of his presence, the more life we get. It's just how do we have eternal life with him in heaven? Because his presence is there unhindered. Right, and we, we realize, again, his point, the evil desires and sin are taking you on a journey towards death. And then we get to verse 6, right, which he says, which is kind of, is the other side of the coin. It's the other column. He says, but now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Again, what's the point here? Is it, what's the other column? What's, what is that doing? It's saying that if we are living in the Spirit, then, and by living in the Spirit and then our good deeds, it will take you on a journey towards Christ, being more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. Right? Because when we receive Christ our Savior and we turn around and start moving in a different direction, we start a new process. In fact, that's when the real work starts. Again, it's a free gift of salvation, right? We just accept that, right, and start, and we get saved and forgiven, and, and our heart is changed at that moment. And that's now when we start moving forward in our faith. That's when the real work starts. Okay, we can't just receive Christ and be like, I'm good, and just sit back and wait for heaven. Right, that is not what, again, Paul's trying to get us to understand in this concept. It's like, no, that's where the real work starts. Right, because now we start the process of transformation. Right, and that's what the journey of faith is all about, right? It's taking another step forward in our faith, becoming closer to him as our destination is now Christ, right? And he is our example. Again, Christ never sinned. He is the picture of holiness, of righteous living, right? That it's moving us closer to Christ. Again, it's living in the spirit where it again starts within our mind and our hearts and it starts to move outwardly into our lives and our outward actions. And the more that we go down this transformation process, right? And as we do that, the theological term for this choice and this lifestyle is living a life of holiness. Okay, that's the theological term of what he's describing here. That we are going to live a life of holiness as I follow Christ. Again, Jesus never sinned. His life of holiness means I'm, I'm continually being transformed by God, and I'm more like Christ tomorrow than I am today if I continue in this life of holiness and invest in my faith and, and move forward in my journey. Again, life in the spirit is about our inner thoughts and our motivations, right? God's spirit lives in our hearts, right? And is transforming us from the inside out. And the more that we do that, then it goes, moves to our outward behavior, as he describes, right, of, of good deeds. Now, as, as you go back to verse 6, I want you to go back and look at verse 6, right in the middle of the verse. Okay, there is this word, and I want you to circle this word. It's the word power. Circle the word power. He says, for we die to it and are no longer captive to its power. It was it describing this. He's, first, he's saying it's the power of sin. Okay, sin is powerful. 
As I said, it, 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 when we look at sin, when we're tempted to do it, we buy the lie of sin that this is going to be pleasurable, that this is going to be, be good for me, right? That, that I'm going to enjoy it. And again, it's, even with that, right, is, I mean, in sin, again, if it wasn't tempting, right, or pleasurable or even funny in the moment, right, nobody would do it. I don't know, there's been times I've left from the movie theater and kind of walked out and was like, man, I, I wish sin was not funny. Because right? that was a funny movie, and yet it was so full of, like, sinfulness and, like, dirty whatever, right? Like, man, I, I wish sin wasn't funny, right? Because I would enjoy that movie a lot more. Right? But yeah, again, it, it does entice us, right? It is tempting, and yet it has power in our life. And yet what he's trying to get us to understand here in this concept is, right, is that we've been released from that power of sin when we receive Christ. And that, now, that power of sin has now been replaced by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is way more powerful than the power of sin. I'm going to say that again because that's very important to understand. Right? The power of the Holy Spirit drastically outweighs the power of sin. Right? And the more we pursue the, the, the Holy Spirit, and the more we release God's power in our life, the more we realize how powerless sin actually is. Because, again, our eyes are open to the truth and where it's really taking us. The Holy Spirit has more power. But we got to remember that sin is powerful, if we give it that power, that we have been released from that power through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we end up into, as he make, makes these, these points and again hinges the entire two chapters on these verses, then we get into Romans chapter 7, okay, and we see this next section in verses 7 through 13, we see the next two rhetorical questions. Okay, first we have uh, the rhetorical question number three, now out of this passage, is found in Romans 7, 7. Okay, so Romans chapter 7, verse 7, when he says, Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. Again, his rhetorical question here, right, is saying, right, is, so, so is, is, do I find fault in the law? Like, because it shows me my sin? Well, no, of course not. Like, sin was bad before the law. I just didn't know it. He's right, saying, well, what the law does is open my, my eyes to the fact that sin is bad. Right, and so without the law, I wouldn't even know it was bad. And again, he's making the point, he's like, ignorance is bliss. Right, if I just live in life and I don't know that it's bad, I just continue down that road. Right, again, how many times do we do that, right? We, we, we go down and, and then suddenly God opens our eyes and we realize, we're like, wow, that's why my life is being messed up because I'm choosing this, right? And I don't have to choose it anymore. Again, he's saying, the, again, to covet, right? To, and he uses this example of making this point with this example of covetness. Now, covet is this kind of old-fashioned word, okay, that means jealousy, Okay, now, as, again, yes, it's an old-fashioned word, but yet the covetousness in our world and our culture today is at epidemic levels. Right? Again, the further our world gets from God, the more that we see sin and the power of sin and the, the power it has over people's lives. Okay, now, when you look at this, this, this idea of jealousy, 
Okay, again, one of the things I think of why it's at such drastic levels in our world is because of social media. Okay, because we look at social media and we see what everybody else posts, right? And like, and, and we, we are naturally then compare it back to us and say, well, you know, man, I, like, I, I think I'm having fun, but like not as much fun as it looks like they're having. Right? And, and we start to, to suddenly, as, as we live our lives on social media, and, and yet we forget the fact that they only post like the best things of their life. They don't post everything about their life. Right? And, and yet, but yet we compare their, their highlight reel to our behind-the-scene footage, and we always lose in that. And therefore, we become jealous of everybody else's life instead of my own. And in fact, as we see this, the, the, the path that this takes us on, Right? I mean, it leads us to all kinds of variations of jealousy. In fact, as we see, like, the levels of anxiety in our world today are, are higher than they've ever been. Okay? And, and in fact, be, and social media feeds this. Right? Because there's literally now a clinical term right, that, that people are dealing with because of social media and because of the things and anxiety they deal with. It's called FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah, and, and again, we've, we've brought this into our lives, right? The more that we, that we watch everybody else's life play out on our social media feeds, the more we realize maybe that our life isn't that great. Okay, and yet, then our anxiety goes up because we, we constantly have all of these kind of things running through our head. Right? Like, why wasn't I invited to that dinner? Am I having enough fun? Because they, it looks like they have more fun than I do. Right? If I take this job, what if something better comes up? Because that person has a better job. Like, is everyone hanging out without me? Okay, we, we have, again, now literally this clinical diagnosis of FOMO that is fueled by social media. Right, but it's not, again, you can have, even if you're not on social media, right? But the real point, and why I bring it up, and what he's telling us in this rhetorical question, right, is, is by going forward in your faith journey, we start to realize that all of this is not good for us. Right, and also start, God, God opens our eyes to like, and you're inviting it in to your life. Right, maybe we should make some changes or see the world differently right, to, to run from the power of this sin. And then we end up at the next rhetorical question, rhetorical question number four, which is found in Romans 7.13, where he says this. He says, but how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Okay, we see again, does, he's saying, so, so should, I have, should I have a beef with the law? Should I say, you know, realize that, you know, just when God opens my eyes to the fact that sin is doing this in my life, should I be upset at that? And he's like, no, of course not. Right? God is still good. God, you know, God wants to take you down a different path. Right? Don't buy that lie that, that, that God is just waiting for you to mess up. Right? That, that God wants you to see. No, he wants you to see your sin so that you can move forward out of it and get free of the power of that sin and all of the consequences that still come from it. Again, that's what the, the, the transformation journey of our faith is all about. It's about us getting rid of that and moving closer to God and his holiness. Right? And then we see, um, as he makes this point, then he moves into this last section, 
in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Now, this is a passage where Paul gets very practical and real. But yet, this is also a passage that can be incredibly confusing if you don't have all of this lead-in, right, of these first, of all that we've already looked at. So we're going to read chapter, Romans chapter 7, picking up at verse 14. He says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is within me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, or what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It's a sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Right now, again, without the lead-in, right, you read this passage, you read it by yourself, you're like, Paul's going crazy. Right, he's, he's talking in circles. He's, he's like contradicting himself. Like, I don't even understand what he's trying to say. But again, when we understand this lead-in, he's like, and these, these, the column of sin and the column of grace and, and, and the transformation that God does, and we open, on all these things, we start to realize that all Paul is telling us is that we all understand that the struggle is real. Right? We all know the struggle is real. I receive Christ as my Savior, and yet I want to follow him, and yet I just inevitably end up doing what I don't want to do. Right? And I, I, I drift back into that sin. We all know that the struggle is real. Paul knew it. Right? Even Claire knows that the struggle is real. <laughs> oh, wait, that's the snuggle is real. That was different. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to sneak in a picture of my daughter. But, right, but the... The struggle is real, right? The struggle against sin and death is real. Okay, and then we see in this kind of circle reasoning, you know, that Paul takes us through these verses, okay, he gives us some keys to finding victory over sin so we don't end up going down that same road over and over and over again. Right, end up, just like Paul says, he's like, I want to do good, but I inevitably end up doing bad. So how do we break that power? Okay, number one, is we need to know what we're really fighting. Okay, we need to know what we're really fighting. As he, as he tells us over this, he's like, it's, you know what, what you're really fighting is your sinful nature. You're not fighting God. God is not sitting up there tempting you. God's not sitting there just waiting for you to mess up so he can punish you. That's not who God is. Right, what you're really fighting is your sinful nature. And we see this concept, James presents the same concept in James 1, verses 13 and 15. He says, then remember, when you are being tempted, don't say God is tempting me because God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. 
These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Right, and Paul is telling us, remember what you're really fighting. That's what the, the faith journey is all about, is, is to get more of God and less of sin. Right, and that's what you're really fighting against. It's, it, you need more of God, not less of him. You're not fighting God. You're fighting your sinful nature. Let God help you. Right, the next thing, key to victory over sin, is to focus on where you're going, not where you've been. Focus on what lies ahead, not what's behind you. Again, that's so much what, what the enemy does, right, is just continue to remind us about our past sin, right, and, and just speaking this lie into our, into, our, into our ear that says, like, God didn't really forgive you. You're a horrible person, right? That is a lie from the enemy. The truth of God's word is if you've been set free, it's free. If you're forgiven, it's as far as the east is from the west. It's in the depths of the ocean. That's the truth. Right? Don't focus on where you're going, not where you've been. If your focus is forward on Jesus Christ, right? It's exactly what, what, um, what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Focus on where you're going, right? The destination of my journey is Jesus Christ. Focus on where I'm going. Again, and once I conquer one sin in my life, then God opens my eyes to the next one. Right? Again, it's, and, and, and then I realize how blatantly sinful my actions or my attitudes are, and then God, God in his power is to take that out of my life, and I take another step towards Christ. Okay? And I look forward to where I'm headed, right? into his unhindered presence, into the heavenly prize, right? which also means if you are still here, then your journey's not over, because your journey is not over until you're with Christ in his unhindered presence, as he says, and receive my heavenly prize. Right, so focus on where I'm going, not on where I've been. And then the last key that he gives us that, that he speaks of in this, all of these kind of confusing language is to remember who your master is. Remember who's your master. Remember, we get to choose our master, right? We can say, I'm going to continue to live in sin or I can choose to live for God. Okay, because... Again, if I am with Jesus, I'm walking with him, if I receive him as my Savior, I'm continuing to, to journey forward in my faith, that I am no longer a slave to sin. Sin is no longer my master. Christ is my master. Right? I'm living for God, not for sin. In fact, Jesus tells us this exact concept in John chapter 8. When Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Right? If God has set you free, then you are no longer a slave to sin. You have a new master. By the way, that master is holy. He is loving. Right? And he wants the best for you. And he is worth serving. Again, after we join the journey of faith, God becomes our master, and sin has lost its power over us. Claim that victory, especially if you're tempted, when you're tempted. 
I want to end this morning with a story that originated from Billy Graham in 1978. And there are many variations of it all over the place now, but I think it summarizes Paul's point really well for us today in these two chapters. And this story goes like this. One evening, an elderly grandfather told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of every person. My dear one, the battle between two wolves is inside us all. One is evil. It's anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And the grandson thought about it for a moment, and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? And the old man replied, the one that you feed. The one that you feed is the one that will win. And Paul is telling us in this, these two chapters, and these rhetorical questions, obviously saying, know which one you're feeding. Are you feeding the evil one or are you feeding the holy one? Because whichever one you feed is the one that's going to win in your life. Which brings me then to my final thought this morning, and that's this. That the struggle against sin is a part of every person's faith journey. But victory and freedom come through God's power of transformation. Are you living a life of holiness? I hope you are. I hope that you're making progress in your faith every day. And, you know, maybe you've never received Christ your Savior, and if you haven't, then that's how you start, right, is, is asking Jesus in your life and confessing your sins and praying to him and saying, Lord, come into my life and forgive me, right? And once you do that, then you continue to move forward every day as you move forward in your life and your faith and become more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. All right, and today before you leave, I hope that, again, you'll either receive Christ as your Savior or you'll commit to taking the next step in your faith. All right, saying, I choose grace over sin. Lord God, we believe in you. God, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and that it is more powerful than the power of sin. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that, that we would live a life of holiness. God, that we would take our faith seriously. God, that we would take a step closer to you every day. And the God, by us living out our faith in that way, God, that other people would see the truth of who you are by our lives. And God, that by us living out our faith, God, that we would shine your light and your love into this dark world. God, we claim your power in our life today. And we declare that we believe, God, and that we are, are serving you and only you, that we are no longer a slave to sin. Lord, guide us as we go this week, as we live out this truth, not just this week, but in every day until we receive our heavenly prize. We love you. We thank you. Guide us in our journey this week. In Jesus' name, amen.